Well, good morning. It's I love this perspective as I get to see all of you. I get to see all these faces that I know and love, and uh, there's occasionally some new faces too, as visitors that uh, are with us. And so, if you're visiting, uh, we're so glad you're here. Love to know more about your story uh, and how the Lord has brought you to this place this morning. But uh, it is good to be together. And uh, this this morning. We finish our journey through 1 Kings, <laughs> and it has been quite a, quite a journey. Uh, I was talking with someone this week and talking about, you know, that we were coming to the end of this, and they said, hallelujah, <laughs> not because God's word is not good here, but because it it's, can be a, a heavy journey in this book, because we see kings come and go, some okay kings, some really not good kings, and the refrain of my heart throughout this book, and I'm sure yours is too, has been, there's got to be a better king. Have you felt that? I sure have. I hope this part of God's word has made Jesus more beautiful and stunning in your eyes as the true king. I hope it's stirred you to lift your hope off of yourself and onto him. Again, we've seen a series of kings. And they've come and they've gone. And the Bible does not shy away from the mess of, of, of humanity. Our mess. It does not shy away. We've seen that pretty clearly. I hope it's, this book has pressed us to really wrestle with this question. How good is the gospel? How good is good? How good is good enough? How good is your gospel? I was with... Uh, this past week, I meet uh, once a month with a, a group of pastors from the Presbytery, and we talk about evangelism and trying to cultivate a, a culture of evangelism among our churches. And we were interviewing one of my mentors in evangelism. That's really just shaped my how I think about it. And we were asking him, you know, how how do we uh, help ourselves and our our people to see the the people in our community to see opportunities for outreach? And he said, Well, you know. I've learned that you have to take a step back from all of that and really wrestle with the question in your own heart. And then for our people, do we really believe this stuff? Do we really believe that Jesus is that good? Because the non-Christian does have an antenna. They can pick up on motive. They can smell it a mile away. Do, we, do, they, does it, do they really believe this thing that they want to tell me about? And it's true. I've seen that in my own interactions. How good is the good news? Do we believe it? I, I've called this sermon, this final sermon in First Kings, How Good is Good Enough. Uh, kids, y'all know about this, wrestling with that question, how good is good enough? When your parents ask you to clean your room, how good is good enough? Right? That's probably going on in your mind, right? Like, how good... What, what level of clean do I need to do here, right? I know some of the tactics because I've tried them, and I've seen my own kids do them. You know, there's the tactic of kids, right? You can clear the floor, and everything goes in the closet, right? And so when mom and dad open the closet door, it goes. <laughs> Have you ever tried that one? Yeah. How about everything? This one's really good. I love this one. Like, everything goes on the bed. Like, I clean the floor. Right. Hey, I've tried all of those, so I get it. But we all get that. We wrestle with this question, how good is good enough? But kids and adults, right now, how good is good enough with God? 
How good is good enough for a king to be able to save his people? How good is good enough when it comes to the good news about Christ? That's our question. That's what we're going to wrestle with today. So we go to God's word now, his inerrant and infallible word. 1 Kings 22, verses 41 to 53. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shalih. And he walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the, the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male folk prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom. A deputy was king. And Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. But they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing and Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this journey in 1 Kings because it has propelled us forward to look to the true king, Jesus. And so I pray that we would see him this morning. Would you speak? Through me, a broken vessel saved by grace alone. Pray this for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. Well, what do you think about when you hear the phrase, good enough for government work? You laugh because it usually alludes to some form of like halfway done job, right? Um, that I've, I've heard it, I've seen it, I've spent enough time in the blue collar world to, to, to know, you know, you work some... Uh, piece of equipment you get it installed and it's a little crooked or sideways and you go well it's good enough for government work it, it'll do I uh, you can ask my wife I sometimes do government work at home <laughs> I, uh, I did I remodeled our bathroom a few years ago and got it about 90% done you know, I didn't put the trim up I didn't seal the grout on the tile which is more important than you might think <laughs> And you know those kinds of things, but I thought, hey, it, it works now. We can use this bathroom. It's good enough for government work. And there's a, a, a picture that I saw this week, and I was going to have it up on the slides here, but it didn't work out. But it's a picture of a road, and there's the, the white line that's painted on the side of the road, you know? You know, you see those guys sometimes painting the road lines. Well, it's a, it's a road, uh, it's a line painted that goes like this, <laughs> and then it goes back straight. 
and there's a tree branch right there where they, they just went around the tree branch. You know, you're sort of like, hey, we're on the straight and narrow here. We're painting the line. We're painting the line. Oh, there's a tree branch. Well, I know exactly what to do. Go around it. <laughs> Good enough for government work. Well, it's funny um, that maybe this is a bit of what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He's, you know, mostly good, doing some good things. He's staying on the straight and narrow. But, oh, there's this high places thing. Like, let's just go around that. But don't we do something? Don't we do things like that, too? You know, we're trying. We're doing pretty good. We're hanging in there. But then there's something that comes up that we really don't want God to mess with. <laughs> I really want to keep this high place. I really want to keep this thing that I've got going for myself. So, God, can we just go around that? We do it sometimes. There's this really subtle but serious error that we can fall into, and it's the error of putting our hope in being good enough. Measuring up a, a religion of being a good person. There are many Christians who sit under that gospel. Got to try harder, do better, be a good person. That's a great tee up for where we're going in a few weeks in Galatians where it's this, the gospel of Jesus Christ plus anything actually results in nothing at all. That's also what we see here. And so when we forget the gospel, when we forget the truth and the beauty of the gospel, when we forget that all of this is meant to point ahead to a perfect king who came to stand in our place, we will resort to trying to be good enough for God. And how good is that gospel? not very good it hasn't been very good for me when I've tried it but what if what if we if we really believe that God was holy and that he really does know every thought and word and action and everything we've ever done and on top of that he does not deal with us based on all of that what if it were really true that his good that God's good is off our spectrum of good it's wholly other what if his good were his loving and choosing and changing us not based on how good we have been what if we get credit for his good wouldn't that change everything doesn't that change everything it does so in this final sermon in first kings i want us to wrestle with that do we really believe this this the goodness of this gospel how good is the gospel of jesus christ well, so let's come to our first point. Let's talk about the problem with trying to be good enough. Let's talk about where that takes us. So we, the writer here in 1 Kings has, given a, has presented two kings to us, okay? And it's sort of the wrap-up at the end of this book. And you sort of, it sort of looks like, well, he's just, the writer's throwing a few facts out there about these two kings. And you've got to remember that this is being written looking back. They're in, probably in Babylon having been conquered and carried away and, and lost everything that God had given them, right? A broken people. Now looking back going, what happened? How did we get here? And so they're recounting all these kings and looking at them and, and going, well, there was this pretty good king, Jehoshaphat. He, he was pretty good. And there was this King Ahaziah. Well, he was evil. Well, the last time we've seen a king of Judah has been since chapter 15. It's been a while. We spent an extended amount of time with Ahab, this evil king in the north, remember? 
But Jehoshaphat is here, and he's presented to us as a, a pretty good king. He was 35 when he started to reign. That feels like a pretty good age to become a king, I guess. He reigned 25 years. He came from good stock. His father was Asa. He's from the line of David. You know, he's, he's got a good background. He's the kind of guy we'd like to have around. You'd want him in your small group. We might even let him teach Sunday school. He's a good guy. But the writer here is giving us reference points. Isn't it interesting? He's re- referencing Jehoshaphat to his father Asa and to David and to these things that happened, the high places, all that. He's, he's referencing him to other things. And that's how we all are. Humanity has to have reference points. We're all referenced. I was talking with this week, uh, this week or last couple of weeks, with a friend of mine who served in the Coast Guard and has a time in his life where they were lost at sea in a storm and the uh, d- directional navigation equipment went out. It was a pretty frightening feeling, wouldn't it? But they had to, they had to get some reference point, right? Otherwise, you're totally lost. And they got out this old ancient equipment they had down on the bottom of the boat that was a picks up radio signals, and so they could signal and find the, the local radio towers to triangulate where they were, to know where they stood on the map, to know that the reference point to safety is this way. We have to have reference points. We function with them. I, I live six miles northeast of here, so to go home, i got to drive that way, and i got to follow the reference point to the roads. Wouldn't it be a little bit bonkers if I just decided, you know, I'm tired of driving northeast home. I'm going to start driving southwest. I wouldn't get home, right? But it, you know, but that's what how we function sometimes. It's like I want to be self-referenced. I want to come up with my own way. I'll be self-referenced. And you see that that we see that in our first parents, Adam and Eve. They were in the garden, right? Perfectly referenced to God, connected in every way. But then there was this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they looked at that and go. Well, we could come up with our own reference points. I can come up, we can make up, uh, we can come up with what is good and bad on our own. And that's essentially what they did. And that is the way of thinking for humanity that we've inherited all the way down to today, is we come up with our own reference points. And so it's the idol of self-referencing. I'm my own reference point. And we tend to serve that idol in a couple of ways, and I'll just sort of use the, the words of religious way or the irreligious way throughout history humanity's invented all kinds of religions to try to measure our own goodness or badness <laughs> right that uh, religion that's man-made is us it's about us it's about us trying to measure ourselves before god but the problem with it is this how good's good enough Where's the measuring line? Where's the standard? How good is good enough? How many religious talks have we sat under that instruct us to try to be a better person? How good is enough? How many pep talks have we given ourselves over the years trying to, you know, try harder to get it right next time, right? We've had those thoughts in our minds, right? That's the, the what I call the religious approach. And I mean religious as in not the religion of the true God that we know, but a religion that we've made up of some kind. It's try to be more like Jehoshaphat and less like a- evil king Ahaziah. Is that what God wants us to learn here? No. 
of Christ. But then there's this human reaction to the religious approach of trying to do better and be good and get it right. There's the version, the irreligious approach that says, I'm running for the hills because I know I can't do it. And I don't measure up. And I've failed over and over, so I'm going to make my own way. It's the irreligious approach. It's why the world has the message of, well, you can have it your way. It's why we see folks trying to reference themselves to whatever gender they want. It's why I'll, I'll have my own reference point. But we all do a version of that. We, we try to reference ourselves. Ironically, it's another form of a religion. Because if you think about it, it's like, I want to be referenced how I want to be referenced. And so if you accept me like that, then you're a good person. But if you reject me for that, then you're a bad person. And so it's measuring just like any other form of, form of a world religion, measuring people based on some standard. But in both cases, humanity has become self-referenced, and we determine our reality. And it, it might sometimes feel good to be able to do that and feel freeing until you actually need to get home. When you're out on the water and the storm hits and you actually need to get to safety, you cannot be self-referenced. You have to have a reference point of where am I? Where is north? How do I get to safety? Martin Luther, in his preface to Galatians, says this. Human beings, by nature, when they get near either danger or death itself, will of necessity examine their own worthiness. We defend ourselves before all threats by recounting our good deeds and moral efforts, but then the remembrance of sins, flaws, inevitably come to mind and this tears us apart when the rubber meets the road when life hits we need to know how good is your good how good is good enough how good is your gospel the trying to be good enough goes right out the window in those times of life and we need something better something outside of us and maybe that's what the writer of 1 Kings is doing here as he's looking back, looking back at Jehoshaphat and going, well, there's these other reference points. There's these other things he did. Yeah, he was pretty good. But what about these other things? What about these high places? If you look back through the kings, you see it's often there, there are many kings that didn't do anything about the high places. Now, what, what are the high places? Those are places set up usually on a high place, on a hill, that was some form of cultic worship. And it's as if they became so culturally acceptable over time that all the kings were like, well, let's just leave those alone. I'll do all the other reforms. Even the very best of kings, they reformed lots of things, but they left the high places alone. What does that mean for us? Well, any of those culturally acceptable things that are not pleasing to God. What might that be? I don't know. We're in, we're in a society and a culture here where we live, where it can be culturally acceptable to worship the God of wealth. Culturally acceptable to worship the God of a nice home or status or identity in a career. Those are culturally acceptable things. And we don't take those high places down in our hearts sometimes, right? We just sort of, you know, if we're painting the line, you just go around that tree branch. I don't, I don't want to mess with that. And the writer here seems to point that out. Jehoshaphat went around that one. Well, there's also this interesting statement in this paragraph uh, about uh, making ships to go to Ophir for gold. Now, uh, what's going on there? 
because it mentions there's a, a deputy king in Edom. Edom was, for a, a lot of a period of time, Israel's enemy. But there was a deputy king, and that meant probably he was subservient in some way to Jehoshaphat. He had some power over him, and therefore had access to the land and had access to this port city called Ezion Gabir. There's a king that came before who built ships at that same port city to go for gold at the same place, Ophir, Solomon. He was successful. He built ships and he went and got gold and brought it back. Could it be that Jehoshaphat was trying to bring back the glory days of Solomon? Could be. I don't know. It doesn't say here, but perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps that's sometimes what we try to do and that's our good enough. Try to bring back some form of, man, I miss the good old days when people were nicer or something like that. We come up with something. Or we have some feeling of nostalgia. You ever felt nostalgia or have some memory that you just wish you could recreate? You know, if I could just have that again, I'd be okay. Things would be good enough. The, uh, uh, there's a commentator. Really, that feeling of nostalgia is sort of like an echo in our hearts of what we were made for in Eden when things were good, when things were right. And there's a writer, a commentator, that says this about specifically the tree of life in Eden. Uh, in the Bible, the tree of life is an image of immortal, eternal life, but also it's an image of irretrievable loss. It's an image of cosmic nostalgia, a longing for something we remember yet we've never had. The feelings of nostalgia, we're, it's awakening something that we can't get a hold of in this world. Tim Keller puts it this way, he says that in all the music you go to, to kind of give yourself a high, you're, you're actually looking for a song that you remember, but you've never heard. What you're looking for in love are arms you remember, but you never had. What we really need, the good that we're really looking for, cannot be found in anything in this world that we can produce for ourselves. But we settle for lesser goods. You know what happened to those ships for Jehoshaphat? It says there they were wrecked, never left port. How, uh, what are some things in our lives where we're, we're going for the gold of Ophir, trying to get some memory or some restoring some glory day or some good time in our life and how might God be wrecking those ships in your life saying don't settle for that that level of good don't settle for anything less than me how, how might God be doing that in our lives well we begin to see the problem here that uh, we, we we try to be good enough but we see that it's just not good enough. <laughs> it's just not good enough because no one, we heard in our confession, no one is good enough, not even one. That was in the first service. But Romans says no one is good, not even one. So we see here, actually, if we follow Jehoshaphat, we can look at Ahaziah and see the capacity for bad, the human capacity for bad. It's our second point. But actually, we can also see it in Jehoshaphat. The writer here, again, gives us two kings, bad king Ahaziah and a dark foreshadowing of Jehoshaphat and his descendants. So Ahaziah, remember, was Ahab's son. We remember Ahab, right? We remember the things that he did. He had a man killed because he wanted his vineyard. He was that kind of guy. Kings are supposed to protect their people. 
he was not doing that. And then you've got, uh, you've got Jehoshaphat here. Now, he seems pretty good, but there's some things he does that sort of fall, uh, that, that bring some dark foreshadowing for what's ahead. I, uh, growing up, I remember going to my great-grandparents' house, an old house in Inslee, and it was one of those old houses that had the big air return vent in the floor, right? You know, those big return vents, and it was like the, the nothing was straight in the house with the floors, but it all seemed to, like, angle towards that vent. And the joke was, if you dropped anything in that house, <laughs> it was going to roll in the, in the furnace vent. <laughs> There's this natural bent towards the furnace vent. But for us, unchecked from God's grace, there is a natural bent to roll towards self. And we see it happen just a couple generations out from Jehoshaphat. I want to show you how a small thing became a big thing for him. It says there, in uh, again, he's a pretty good king. The word says that. But in verse 44, it says, Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It doesn't really say, but later on in Chronicles and 2 Kings, we see, yeah, it actually was a bad thing, and here's why. Uh, Jehoshaphat made a marriage alliance with Ahab. That means Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. Okay, as a marriage, sometimes that would happen often. Two kings in different nations, they would marry their children together to have some form of an alliance and, and uh, multiply their power and influence in the lands. It was pretty common. And so they became family. But what happens with family sometimes? Sometimes there's drama. There was drama in this family. So basically, Jehoshaphat has invited evil King Ahab's family into the throne of Judah. Now, Judah is the promised line, the line of David, where the Messiah would come from, right? And so what happens? Well, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son, and Ahab's daughter, Athaliah, they have a son. He doesn't make it very long. He dies. And so Athaliah, Ahab's daughter, takes it upon herself to, to crown herself queen of Judah. So in just a couple of generations, Ahab's family has now taken over the throne of Judah, the promised line. And get this, on top of that, Athaliah took out every possible heir to the throne. Do you know what that means? She took out her own grandchildren. How horrific. Just a couple of generations. And so it would appear that the whole promised line of God, the line of David, is extinct the promises of God, have they failed? Will they come through? All because of an, a marriage alliance. All because Jehoshaphat wanted to have some friendly alliance with the north, northern kingdom. You see how something small, perhaps even a good thing, can become a big thing that can expose the human capacity for evil. None of us is immune. No one is good, not even one. And so... That leads us to a longing for a better king. And that's the third point here. It brings us back to that first question. Do we really believe this gospel stuff? Is it really that good? Do we really believe that God, knowing not only our actual failures, but also our capacity for evil, knowing that, that he would still send a perfect king to stand in our place? Will he make a way for us to have the embrace of those arms 
we remember but have never had. Well, you remember, again, our first parents, Adam and Eve. Remember, God promised, after they fell, God promised there will be an offspring who will save you. I will, I will redeem humanity, right? There was a promise. Adam and Eve had two sons, remember? Abel and Cain. What happened? Cain killed Abel. Right off the bat, it's like, whoa, where's the promise going to come from now? <laughs> this evil son killed the, the halfway decent son here. <laughs> where's the hope? Well, God provides Seth. Remember that story? Here, the line of David is almost entirely wiped out. But God preserved the line. Because Athaliah's daughter protected one of the grandsons and hid him away for six years. Until at age seven, when Athaliah is no more, she took on the throne of Judah at seven. And God's line, the promised line of David continues. And it's noted here that Jehoshaphat died and he slept with his fathers. If we're going back to this passage, right? He slept with his fathers. That was a common way of saying that a king died and was buried. And he slept with his father, David. Now, David, what, what, what's the thing about David? Why does David keep coming up? Well, it reminds us of the covenant promise of God. Remember what God promised David? He said, you'll never lack a man to sit on your throne the true king will sit on your throne forever. But Jehoshaphat has come and gone, and we see kings come and go. We have yet to see in, in this study a forever king. They've all come and gone, right? But praise God that we're on this place in this time in redemptive history because we can look back and go, there is now a forever king, and he's on the throne. And just as this line, the line of David then, was threatened to be wiped out by a poser queen, we see in Jesus' day, a poser king, Herod. We remember he got word, word that there was a promised king to come. And he didn't like that, remember? And so he decided that I'm going to take out all of the firstborn boys in Bethlehem to try to, to cut off this promised line. But he was not successful, remember? Because Jesus' parents took him away and protected him in Egypt until the massacre was over similarities here but there's also one key difference one difference that makes all the difference in the world because king jesus was protected as a child so that he could live not a pretty good life but a perfect life so that you and i could get credit for it and there's more he was preserved from death as a child only to be put to death later not by an evil queen but by his father's own plan a plan that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made together before the foundation of the world with you and I in mind. So that the perfect king would come and stand in our place and take the hit for our failures and sin and cloak us in his perfect righteousness. We have a better king. We have a better king. And the book of Kings has always done nothing other than point us to him. Praise God for King Jesus. Amen. The origin of the phrase, uh, good enough for government work, just to close here, actually had the opposite meaning in the beginning. It actually meant top-notch work, the best of the best. And it, was, it came around the time of World War II. And there's a commander of the Pearl Harbor shipyard that shares a story of how that played out. Uh, he tells the story of uh, the USS Yorktown that was badly damaged 
in the Battle of Coral Sea in, in the Pacific War. And he said that there was, the, there was an extraordinary effort of everyone coming together to work on that ship. And they did three months of work on that ship in three days and got it back into the fight just in time for the Battle of Midway, which was one of the key turning points in the entire war. And he said it was good enough for government work. How good is good enough to change the world? How good is good enough to be accepted by the living God? How good is your gospel? Do you believe that Jesus truly did take the hit for your sins and failures and wrapped you in his righteousness? Not because of your ability to be worthy of it, but because he loves you that much. Believe it. It's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for this journey in 1 Kings that has been heavy at times. It's reminded us of the weight and capacity of human sin and evil and failure, but it has pointed us to long for your son Jesus, the true, right, and perfect king who has stood in our place. And I pray, Father, this morning that there would be anybody here hearing this, realizing that their own good is never good enough, but seeing that your son Jesus is perfectly good on their behalf. Lord, I pray that you would stir their hearts to respond to the goodness of the gospel. And for all of us who need to be refreshed and reminded that our good is nothing compared to your perfection on our behalf. So revive us and refresh us in the goodness of the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.